Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast series. In this series, we'll be bringing you experts on a number of respiratory related topics. The podcast has been produced to update you and to give you food for thought about how you deliver your respiratory services. Hello and welcome to this podcast about rescue packs in asthma and CPD. I'm Steve Holmes, a general practitioner in Somerset, and it's a great pleasure to welcome Jane Scullion, uh, University Hospitals Leicester um, nurse consultant, great expert in CPD and asthma into this podcast where we're going to try and debate through some of the issues. We know this is for the PCRS membership. And we know that you know a lot about this already. So we will be asking and questioning some of the values that we might have on this and value your contributions if you think there's something that we've missed out or that's really important so that we can add to this podcast moving forwards. Jane, great as ever to see you. What are rescue packs? I think that's really useful to establish because there's something slightly different in terms of asthma and COPD. So we can discuss that and then we can, you know, look at the evidence for it at the end. So we know that in asthma, we need bronchodilation and and steroids. It works for people with asthma. And that's been in the guidance for a long time. In COPD, it's never quite as clear cut because we tend to use antibiotics and steroids. And I think there's a growing body of evidence that actually not everybody needs antibiotics and steroids for a flare-up and exacerbation of their COPD. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Do they work for every exacerbation? Do they need both each time in COPD? Perhaps a little bit clearer in asthma, but are we sometimes over-treating? Because a rescue pack often is thought of as something that the person has ready to go at the time. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's relevant. I, I, was, I was listening yesterday to my mother on the phone to the, the practice saying that um, she was saying, you know, the hospital suggests I have a rescue pack. And she was thinking, oh, I'll get one in for Christmas because that's the time that I might not have as much access to everyone and, and it should be there. And I was thinking, one, does she actually need it? Will she use it in the right way? Is it causing her any harm or is it actually beneficial for it to sit there? Does she understand the concept of it? So so another really key point, if we're going to have a rescue pack, the person needs to know how to use it. Now, I remember a few years ago, there was this concept that um, everybody, if they had rescue packs, would be able to treat themselves. They'd never need to go into hospital. And Bob's your uncle or whoever, whoever your uncle's name is, it would be a situation where the admission rate dropped dramatically because patients were empowered to treat themselves. Um, Plonk it on repeat. Lots of letters we had coming in saying, I've spoken to this person about repeat prescribing of this. Can you put it on repeat so they can pick it up when they need to? We've moved on a bit in eight years. I hope we have. I hope we have, because we've all sort of done the audits where we've looked at how often people are picking up rescue packs. Now I know, again, it's very different in asthma because that's a bit more unpredictable. But sometimes with the people with COPD that we see, you know, they've gone on their repeat prescriptions. Some people have picked them up every month because they think it's part of their treatment. So again, the misconception around it. We know by and large that, you know, people with asthma don't really want 
oral corticosteroids because they wake them up and they, they, they give them an appetite. A lot of people with COPD actually like that. They like being awake and hungry. So it's the use of them. Yes, and it's not quite the appropriate indication to keep you awake and, and increase your appetite, much as they might like that. I, I guess probably me from a primary care perspective would say, no matter what someone tells you, if you do the prescription, you're responsible. I would not have anybody on a repeat prescription that they can just phone up for and get without speaking to somebody. Um, I would want to see every rescue pack, certainly in asthma where the exacerbation rates are every decade or so. And almost certainly in COPD where the average number of exacerbations, remember John Hurst's work, reviewing several trials of hospital-based outpatients where the average number of exacerbations per year was one. Yet I've seen people being prescribed seven, eight, nine, ten courses of steroids in the year without review. I think sometimes it's lazy medicine in some ways, isn't it? And it also goes back to that definition of what is an exacerbation? What are we actually treating and do we know? So it's not just a mild off day in COPD where somebody feels a bit out of sorts because it is a variable disease in the way that asthma has always been recognised to be. And, you know, even the guidance will say, you know, the first thing we need to do is to bronchodilate if people are experiencing symptoms and then consider whether we need other treatments. So, so asthma, when would you give a rescue pack for somebody with asthma? Again, I, I think it's really difficult because we give them rescue advice because they generally or often have the treatments there themselves. And, and I worry about people with asthma who treat themselves at home when they're running into difficulties because I, I'm not really sure that that's always a good thing. I think a review is often necessary. It's a bit like the person who says, oh, you know, if I have a nebulizer at home, I'll never come into hospital. My view is if you're bad enough to need a nebulizer, especially in asthma, you're in trouble. I think we're on the same page there. The only people that I can think of for giving a rescue pack for them to take with them is somebody who is probably going into some um, exploration zone, sub-Saharan Africa, up in the Northlands of Canada, where they won't have access to medical care and might just need acute emergency treatment. But in the UK and most places, they can get treatment when they need to. And it's important to make sure we assess them appropriately. So for asthma, in my primary care world, it should never be on a repeat prescription and it should only be given in the acute situation or extremely rarely to a patient to keep in. What I like about you, Steve, is that we often agree on these things. That's good. So let's see if we can disagree on COPD then. Why bother with steroids? So I think all the, all the areas now, NICE, Gold, um, the Cochrane Reviews, all talk about a five-day course of PRED, 30 milligrams, and an antibiotic of, of recommendation, depending on the locality, but for a five-day course. And quite a lot have good evidence to suggest that longer courses have worse outcomes, which I think is nice. I, I, I think it's the way that we've, you know, we've had our expectations and the patient's expectations of an exacerbation have evolved. So we used to, you know, give the 10 day courses of both. The person would come back saying they're still not feeling that great, would give a back to back one. And we've moved away from that, recognising that they have that systemic inflammation 
that takes a bit longer to recover. So I think the important questions are, were you starting to feel better? Yes, you now need a bit of time. Good. And, and I, I think that's really important. You know, one of the things that I'd often question, people used to say, when your symptoms get worse, i.e. you've got a cough and you feel a bit more breathless and you cough up phlegm, start your treatment pattern then. And that, my question to a lot of clinicians was, did you tell them to start in 10 minutes, quarter of an hour, an hour, a day, two days, a week, 10 days? What, what advice did you give them? Because a lot of people will have temporary variations in their symptoms. And it's a bit like the sputum question, isn't it? You know, is, is, is your sputum dirty? And yes, oh, better have antibiotics. Well, actually, some people always have dirty sputum. You know, COPD, they colonise in, in their lungs and, and they do cough up. So it, it's, a, it's change from baseline. It's something different that's going on that makes you think. And, you know, the effectiveness of have we got the right antibiotic for the right thing or is it viral? And I think that the work that sort of suggests the third of viral, the third of bacterial and the third of environmental, whatever that might mean, is quite useful to bear in mind is that means two in three people won't benefit from the antibiotic. And probably some of those who get the antibiotic, because it's not a, an acute infection that's like pneumonia, may not benefit either. And I think the evidence behind it's really important in COPD, because actually there isn't very good evidence. From what I understand, it came out of antibiotics and steroids in a hospital setting reduced the length of stay. And then there was a big push for everyone to have them at home and be at home with them. I don't know, Steve, you might know whether there's been any further evidence. I, th I think uh, people should have a quick look at the Cochrane Review on corticosteroid management in COPD because what that I think there were about 26 trials and we've spoken about this before 24 of them were hospital based the steroid didn't reduce um, mortality didn't reduce your risk of ending up in intensive care but got you out of hospital a day or so quicker I seem to remember so so big benefit there if you're in hospital to get out a day faster when the average length of stay was about eight days but it wasn't changing mortality rates around. It wasn't reducing your risk of ending up on an intensive care unit. P perhaps we have been a bit overzealous in our use of steroids, both in hospital and in certainly in primary care. I think it's a debate that rolls and rolls, but hopefully we're getting there somewhere with it. And again, managing those patients' expectations that we're always going to give a treatment. So, so as a, a quick rule of thumb, if I see somebody who has had a course of steroids and antibiotics for COPD or one of those, some of them just have the antibiotic or some just have the steroid, before their next course, I would usually want to see them face to face. I might do a few of those over the phone and discuss how, when they'd started their treatment, what was the duration of that exacerbation? How quickly did it settle down? What are they doing now? have we got the basics of COPD care right for the long-term inhaler technique, smoking, immunization, activity, before just handing out the next prescription? So not on prescription. Not on repeat. Or repeat prescription, yeah. A one-off and a review. Yeah. And first of all, do no harm. Correct. That's probably the best way to leave it, is not doing harm, isn't it, really? Always good to catch up, Steve. Thank you very much again, Jane. Really value your expertise.
bless you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for future podcasts. Goodbye.